Section 9 of Mark the Matchboy, or Richard Hunter's Ward. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tori Falder. Mark the Matchboy, or Richard Hunter's Ward, by Horatio Alger, Jr. Chapter 17. Bad Advice. Roswell pursued his way home with a general sense of discontent. Why should he be so much worse off than Richard Hunter, who had only been a ragged bootblack three years before? The whole world seemed to be in a conspiracy to advance Richard and to keep him down. To think he should be only earning six dollars a week, while Dick, whom he considered so far beneath him, was receiving twenty, was really outrageous. And now he had pushed a low dependent of his into Baker's store, where Roswell was obliged to associate with him. Certainly Roswell's grievances were numerous, but there was one thing he did not understand, that the greatest obstacle to his advancement was himself. If he had entered any situation with the determination to make his services valuable and discharge his duties, whatever they might be, with conscientious fidelity, he would have found his relations with his employer much more agreeable and satisfactory. Mrs. Crawford still kept the house in Clinton Place, letting nearly all the rooms to lodgers, in this way she succeeded in making both ends meet, though with considerable difficulty, so that she had not the means to supply Roswell with the spending money he desired. Her nephew, James Gilbert, Richard Hunter's predecessor as bookkeeper, still boarded with her. It will be remembered by the readers of Fame and Fortune that this Gilbert, on being questioned by Mr. Rockwell as to his share in the plot against Dick, had angrily resigned his position, thinking probably that he should lose it at any rate. It so happened that business was generally depressed at this time, and it was three months before he succeeded in obtaining another place, and then he was compelled to work for $800, or 200 less than he had formerly received. This was a great disappointment to him, and did not help his temper much, which had never been very sweet. He felt quite exasperated against Dick, whom, very much against his wishes, he had seen the means of promoting to his own place. Indeed, on this point, he sympathized heartily with Roswell, whose dislike to Richard Hunter has already been shown. "'Well, mother,' said Roswell, as he entered Mrs. Crawford's presence, "'I'm getting tired of Baker's store.' "'Don't say so, Roswell,' said his mother in alarm. "'Remember how long it took you to get the place?' "'I have to work like a dog for six dollars a week,' said Roswell. "'Yes,' said his cousin with a sneer. "'That's precisely the way you work. "'Dogs spend their time running round the street doing nothing.' "'Well, I have to work hard enough,' said Roswell, "'but I wouldn't mind that so much "'if I didn't have to associate with low match-boys.' "'What do you mean, Roswell?' asked his mother, "'who did not understand the allusion. "'Baker hired a new boy today, "'and who do you think he turns out to be?' "'Not that boy Ragged Dick. "'No, you don't think he would give up Cousin James's place "'where he gets a thousand dollars a year "'to go into Baker's as a boy. "'Who was it, then?' He used to be a ragged match-boy about the streets. Dick Hunter picked him up somewhere and got him a situation in our store on purpose to spite me, I expect. As the reader is aware, Roswell was mistaken on his supposition, as Mark obtained the place on his own responsibility. The boot-black seems to be putting on airs, said Mrs. Crawford. Yes, he pretends to be the guardian of this match-boy. What's the boy's name? "'Mark Manton. If I were Mr. Baker,' said Mrs. Crawford, "'I should be afraid to take a street boy into my employ. "'Very likely he isn't honest.' "'I wish he would steal something,' said Roswell, not very charitably. "'Then we could get rid of him, and the boot-black would be pretty well mortified about it.' 
He'll be found out sooner or later, said Mrs. Crawford. You may depend on that. You'd better keep a sharp lookout for him, Roswell. If you catch him in stealing, it will help you with Mr. Baker, or ought to. This would have comforted Roswell more, but that he was privately of opinion that Mark was honest and would not be likely to give him any chance of detecting him in stealing. Still, by a little management on his part, he might cause him to fall under suspicion. It would, of course, be miserably mean on his part to implicate a little boy in a false charge, but Roswell was a mean boy, and he was not scrupulous where his dislike was concerned. He privately decided to think over this new plan for getting Mark into trouble. "'Isn't dinner ready, mother?' he asked rather impatiently. "'It will be in about ten minutes. I'm as hungry as a bear. You can always do your part at the table,' said his cousin unpleasantly. I don't know why I shouldn't. I have to work hard enough. You are always talking about your hard work. My belief is that you don't earn your wages. I should think it was a pity if I didn't earn six dollars a week, said Roswell. Come, James, you're always hard on Roswell, said Mrs. Crawford. I am sure he has hard times enough without his own relations turning against him. James Gilbert did not reply. He was naturally of a sarcastic turn, and seeing Roswell's faults was not inclined to spare them. He might have pointed them out, however, in a kindly manner, and then his young cousin might possibly have been benefited, but Gilbert felt very little interest in Roswell. Immediately after dinner, Roswell took up his cap. His mother observed this and inquired, Where are you going, Roswell? I'm going out to walk. Why don't you go with your cousin? James Gilbert had also taken his hat. He don't want to be bothered with me, said Roswell, and this statement Gilbert did not take the trouble to contradict. Why can't you stay in and read? I haven't got anything to read. Besides, I've been cooped up in the store all day, and I want to breathe a little fresh air. There was reason in this, and his mother did not gainsay it, but still she felt that it was not quite safe for a boy to spend his evenings out in a large city without anyone to look after him. Roswell crossed Broadway and, proceeding down 8th Street, met a boy of about his own age in front of the Cooper Institute. How long have you been waiting, Ralph? he asked. Not long. I only just came up. I couldn't get away as soon as I expected. Dinner was rather late. Have a cigar, Roswell, asked Ralph. Yes, said Roswell. I don't mind. You'll find these cigars pretty good. I paid ten cents apiece. I don't see how you can afford it, said Roswell. Your cigars must cost you considerable. I don't always buy ten centers. Generally, I pay only five cents. Well, that mounts up when you smoke three or four in a day. Let me see. What wages do you get? Seven dollars a week. That's only a dollar more than I get, said Roswell. I know one thing. It's miserably small, said Ralph. We ought to get twice what we do. These shopkeepers are awfully mean, said Roswell, beginning to puff away at his cigar. That's so. But still, you always seem to have plenty of money. That's what puzzles me, said Roswell. I'm always pinched. I have to pay my mother all my wages but a dollar a week. And what's a dollar? He repeated scornfully. Well, said Ralph, my board costs me all but a dollar. So we are about even there. Do you pay your board out of your earnings? I have to. My governor won't foot the bills, so I have to. Still, you seem to have plenty of money, persisted Roswell. Yes, I look out for that, said Ralph Graham significantly. But I don't see how you manage. I might look out all day, and I wouldn't be any the better off. Perhaps you don't go the right way to work, said his companion, taking the cigar from his mouth and knocking off the ashes. Then I wish you'd tell me the right way. Why, the fact is, said Ralph slowly, I make my employer pay me higher wages than he thinks he does. I don't see how you can do that, said Roswell, who didn't yet understand. Ralph took the cigar, now nearly smoked out from his mouth, and threw it on the pavement. He bent towards Roswell and whispered something in his ear. 
Roswell started and turned pale. But, he said, that's dishonest. Hush, said Ralph, don't speak so loud. Oughtn't employers to pay fair wages? Tell me that. Certainly. But if they don't and won't, what then? I don't know. Well, I do. We must help ourselves, that is all. But, said Roswell, what would be thought of you if it were found out? There's plenty of clerks that do it. Bless you, it's expected. I heard a man say once that he expected to lose about so much by his clerks. But I think it would be better to pay good wages. So do I. Only you see, they won't do it. How much do you... Do you make outside of your salary? asked Roswell. From three to five dollars a week. I should think they'd find you out. I don't let them. I'm pretty careful. Well, what shall we do this evening? There's a pretty good play at Niblo's. Suppose we go there. I haven't got money enough, said Roswell. Well, I'll pay for both tonight. You can pay another time. All right, said Roswell, though he did not know when he should have money enough to return the favor. They crossed to Broadway and walked leisurely to Niblo's garden. The performance lasted till late, and it was after eleven when Roswell Crawford got to bed. Chapter 18. The First Step To do Roswell Crawford justice, the idea of taking money from his employer had never occurred to him until the day when it was suggested to him by Ralph Graham. The suggestion came to him at an unfortunate time. He had always felt with a sense of bitter injustice that his services were poorly compensated, and that his employer was making money out of him yet he knew very well that there was no chance of an advance. Besides, he really felt the need of more money to keep up appearances equal to Ralph Graham and some other not very creditable acquaintances that he had managed to pick up. So Roswell allowed Ralph's suggestion to recur to his mind with dangerous frequency. He was getting familiar with what had at first startled and shocked him. But it was not at once that he brought his mind to the point. He was not possessed of much courage, and could not help fearing that he would get himself into a scrape. It needed a little more urging on the part of Ralph. "'Well, Roswell,' said Ralph, a few evenings after the conversation recorded in the last chapter, "'when are you going to take me to the theater?' "'I didn't know I was going to take you at all,' said Roswell. "'Come, there's no use in crawling off that way. Didn't I take you to Niblo's last week?' "'Yes, and didn't you promise to take me some night in return?' I should like to do it well enough, said Roswell, but I never have any money. You might have some if you chose. The way you mentioned? Yes. I don't like to try it. Then you are foolish. It's what half the clerks do. They have to. Do you think many do it, said Roswell irresolutely? To be sure they do, said Ralph confidently. But I am sure I would be found out. Not if you're careful. I shouldn't know how to go about it. Then I'll tell you. You're in the store alone some of the time, I suppose. Yes, when Mr. Baker and Mr. Jones are gone to dinner. Where's the money kept? There are two drawers. The one that has the most money in it is kept locked, and Mr. Baker carries away the key with him. He leaves a few dollars in another drawer, but nothing could be taken from that drawer without being missed. Does he keep much money in the first drawer? I expect so. Then, said Ralph promptly, you must manage to get into that. But how am I to do it? asked Roswell. Didn't I tell you that it was kept locked and that Mr. Baker took the key? I can't say you are very smart, Roswell, said Ralph, a little contemptuously. Tell me what you mean, then. What is easier than to get a key made that will fit the drawer? All you have to do is to take an impression of the lock with sealing wax and carry it to a locksmith. He'll make you a key for two shillings. I don't know, said Roswell undecidedly. I don't quite like to do it. 
Do just as you please, said Ralph. Only if I carry you to the theatre, I expect you to return the compliment. Well, I'll think of it, said Roswell. There is another way you can do, suggested Ralph, who was full of evil suggestions, and was perhaps the most dangerous counselor that Roswell could have had at this time. What is it? If you make any sales while you are alone, you might forget to put the money into the drawer. Yes, I might do that. And ten to one Baker would never suspect. Of course, he doesn't know every book he has in his store or the exact amount of stationery he keeps on hand. No, I suppose not. You might begin that way. There couldn't be any danger of detection. This suggestion struck Roswell more favorably than the first, as it seemed safer. Without giving any decided answer, he suffered the thought to sink in his mind and occupy his thoughts. The next day, when about the middle of the day Roswell found himself alone, a customer came in and bought a package of envelopes, paying twenty-five cents. With a half-guilty feeling, Roswell put this sum into his pocket. Mr. Baker will never miss a package of envelopes, he thought. He sold two or three other articles, but the money received for these he put into the drawer. He did not dare to take too much at first. Indeed, he took a little credit to himself, so strangely had his ideas of honesty got warped, for not taking more when he might have done so as well as not. Mr. Baker returned and nothing was said. As might have been expected, he did not miss the small sum which Roswell had appropriated. That evening Roswell bought a couple of cigars with the money he had stolen, we might as well call things by their right names, and treated Ralph to one. There's a splendid play at Wallach's, said he suggestively. Perhaps we'll go tomorrow evening, said Roswell. That's the way to talk, said Ralph, looking keenly at Roswell. Is there anything new with you? Not particularly, said Roswell, coloring a little, for he did not care to own what he had done to his companion, though it was from him that he had received the advice. The next day, when Roswell was alone again, a lady entered the shop. "'Have you got La Fontaine's fables in English?' she asked. "'I have asked at half a dozen stores, but I can't find it. I'm afraid it is out of print.' "'Yes, I believe we have it,' said Roswell. He remembered one day when he was looking for a book he wanted to read that he had come across a shop-worn copy of La Fontaine's fables. It was on a back shelf in an out-of-the-way place. He looked for it and found his memory had served him correctly.' Here it is, he said, handing it down. I'm very glad to get it, said the lady. How much will it be? The regular price is a dollar and a quarter, but as this is a little shop-worn, you may have it for a dollar. Very well. The lady drew out a dollar bill from her purse and handed it to Roswell. He held it in his hand till she was fairly out of the door. Then the thought came into his mind. Why should I not keep this money? Mr. Baker would never know. Probably he has quite forgotten that such a book was in his stock. Besides, as the price of a ticket to the family circle at Wallach's was only thirty cents, this sum would carry in him and his friend, and there would be enough left for an ice cream after they had got through. The temptation was too much for poor Roswell. I call him poor because I pity any boy who foolishly yields to such a temptation for the sake of a temporary gratification. Roswell put the money into his vest pocket, and shortly afterwards Mr. Baker returned to the store. "'Have you sold anything, Roswell?' he inquired on entering." Yes, sir. I have sold a slate, a choir of note paper, and one of Oliver Optics books. Roswell showed Mr. Baker the slate, on which, as required by his employer, he had kept a record of sales. Mr. Baker made no remark, but appeared to think all was right. So the afternoon passed away without any incident worthy of mention. In the evening, Roswell met Ralph Graham, as he had got into the habit of doing. Well, Roswell, I feel just like going to the theater tonight were his first words of salutation. 
"'Well, we'll go,' said Roswell. "'Good. You've got money to buy the tickets, then?' "'Yes,' said Roswell, with an air of importance. "'What's the play?' "'It's a London play that's had a great run. "'Tom Hastings tells me it's splendid. "'You take me there tonight, and I'll take you to the New York Circus some evening next week.' This arrangement was very satisfactory to Roswell, who had never visited the circus and had a great desire to do so. At an early hour the boys went to the theatre, and succeeded in obtaining front seats in the family circle. Roswell managed to enjoy the play, although unpleasant thoughts of how the money was obtained by which the tickets were procured would occasionally intrude upon him, but the fascination of the stage kept them from troubling him much. When the performance was over, he suggested an ice cream. "'With all my heart,' said Ralph, "'I feel warm and thirsty, and an ice cream will cool my throat.' So they adjourned to a confectionery establishment nearly opposite, and Roswell, with an air of importance, called for the creams. They sat leisurely over them, and it was nearly half-past eleven when Roswell got home. "'What keeps you out so late, Roswell?' asked his mother anxiously, for she was still up. "'I was at the theatre,' said Roswell. "'Where did you get the money?' "'It's only thirty cents to the family circle,' said Roswell carelessly. "'I'm tired, and will go right up to bed.' So he closed the discussion, not caring to answer many inquiries as to his evening's amusement. His outlay for tickets and for the ice cream afterwards had just used up the money he had stolen, and all that he had to compensate for the loss of his integrity was a headache, occasioned by late hours and the warm and confined atmosphere at the theater. End of section 9 of Mark the Matchboy or Richard Hunter's Ward by Horatio Alger, Jr. Recording by Tory Falder.